radio connecting and here is the theme music free people will never remain free if they are not willing if need be to fight for their vital interests in this present crisis government is not the solution to our problem government is the problem The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. All right, welcome everybody, Pastor Eli James. This is the Restoration Hour, simulcasting on Eurofolk Radio. And on Telegram. And tonight's topic is going to be, well, part one of the history of my dispute with William Fink and Clifton Emmeheiser and the uh, backstabbing treatment I got at their hands with them starting to call me names, such as Eli is a Jew, Eli is a universalist, and all this stuff, none of which is true. So, but tonight I'm going to focus on the surnames involved, because my birth name, I was born in Germany in 1946, in November of that year, and my father's surname was Putz, P-U-T-Z, and so I'm going to copy the link that I put in the Eurofolk radio chat room, and put it all in the Telegram chat room as well. So people can see this uh, link for themselves. And here it is. And also put it in the Eurofolk radio chat area as well. And there it is there. Okay. So as you can see from that coat of arms that there is no Jewish blood. <laughs> there simply is no Jewish blood in the Putz family. I'm just going to read from the Putz History Family Crest Coat of Arms. And that is the correct pronunciation in the German. The word Putz is pronounced like the English word P-U-T-S as in he puts his shoes on one foot at a time. That it's a uh, that's the exact pronunciation in the German. And in the German, it means someone who uh, comes from a spring or a well. Let me just read it here. Puts history, family crest, and coat of arms. Early origins of the Putz family. The surname Putz was first found in Bavaria, where the name was anciently associated with the tribal conflicts of the area. They declared allegiances to many nobles and princes of early history, lending their influence in struggles for power and status within the region. Uh, obviously, the various conflicts between the nobles, uh, the German nobles against each other, German and French nobles, German and Polish nobles, etc., etc. They branched into many houses, and their contributions were sought by many leaders in their search for power. Okay, so... Uh, 
the Putz family name is very prominent in Europe and also uh, in not just Germany, but also France. There was a General Putz in the French army. So and the reason why uh, they're so prevalent in France as well is because the origin of the, the French name comes from Alsace-Lorraine. Alsace-Lorraine is that territory which was disputed over uh, for centuries between the Germans and the French, and they fought over that area because it's a very rich, fertile territory, lots of fertile farmland. And my, my ancestors are all farmers, European peasant farmers. The, uh, we wound up, our, our ancestors, as it says here, first founded Bavaria, but Queen Maria Theresa of Austria-Hungary invited a number of my ancestors to go to Hungary and plant orchards, such as peach orchards, pears, plums, apples, etc., apricots. My, good, my family made really good apricot brandy. <laughs> and because the Hungarians didn't know, they, they weren't that good of farmers, so she, and because she was queen over the combined territory of Austria and Hungary, she uh, invited many German families to go to Hungary and become orchard keepers, farmers, ranchers, etc. And that's my family history, okay? Uh, we're called the Danube Swabians, or of Deutsch Donauschwaben. The Donauschwaben, Donau for Danube. Schwaben for Swabians, and the, the part of the great trek of the tribe of Judah and Reuben from the Caucasus Mountains across, you know, floating up the Danube, sailing up the Danube, or migrating along the Danube. That's my family history. So that's, that's who I am. I'm a 100% pure-blooded German. And very, very few people uh, who, who don't have my bloodline can claim anything else, or I can claim to be 100% German, all right? In fact, while I'm on the subject, let me just go to my, oh, there's a, <laughs> there's a ladybug crawling next to my TV screen here, so uh, I'll have to ignore that. Let me go to my... Uh, DNA, which was uh, t taken from 23andMe. Oh, this was uh, around 2012 when I challenged William Fink to do to send in his DNA as well and have his DNA sample done, but he refused to do so, claiming that the uh, the, the lab work is inaccurate. Well. Even though 23andMe is owned by Jews, and most of these are, most of these labs are owned by Jews, they don't know me from Adam. They don't know William Fink from Adam and say they could care less. They just uh, do the tests and do the results, and uh, it comes out as it may. So here is my test results, and anybody who's interested, I can send you these test results. I can document everything I'm saying, and if you want the documentation, just send me an email. It's elijames at att.net. I'll type it into the chat room after I'm done reading this documentation here. So this is 
the Eli James ancestry and from 23andMe. They're one item, one chromosome of British and Irish ancestry. Numbers 3 to 12 are all broadly European. Numbers 13 through 30 are all broadly Northwestern European. And it gives the alleles and the chromosomes, alleles, I should say, and the chromosomes of all of these entries here. From 31 to 36, broadly Southern European. From 37 to 41, Eastern European. From 42, I have to scroll down. From 42 to, whoa, wow, long list here, to 86, European. From 87 to, another long list here, to 118, French and German. As I said, our family history goes to Alsace-Lorraine. One item of Greek and Balkan. Three items of Italian. And one from 123 to 159, all Northwestern European, from 160 to 165, Southern European. So, as you can see, the word European predominates out of all of these 165 entries, maybe five, are not European, although they're still European because Italian and, uh, and Greek and Balkan are also European, South and Eastern European. So essentially, my DNA is 100% European. And people have argued with me saying, well, there's no such thing as a pure race anymore. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. My family migrating from Germany to America, we never even saw a black person in Europe or other races in Europe. I know my mother encountered, encountered Jews in Budapest. Got, that's where she developed her extreme hatred for Jews because she knew they were cheats in business and they always tried to cheat her uh, monetarily because she owned a little grocery store in the little town of Weindorf just outside of Budapest. And she had to go once or twice a week to the great uh, hall in Budapest where, you know, the great, uh, what, what do you call it, produce, the great produce hall in Budapest, which still exists. I have a friend there who just visited it recently, and that's where she learned how to haggle with the Jews and was able to out-haggle Jews at every turn, <laughs> right? So she beat them at their own game because she did not appreciate being cheated by them, and so this is her way of getting even with them. So that's my ancestry, 100% European, 100% European. So let's compare the surname Fink and see what, what Fink comes from. And Fink 
History, Family Crest, and Coat of Arms. The name Fink is a proud symbol of ancient Jewish culture. That's the first sentence of this article, folks. And I posted both of those articles. Let me double check, make sure I posted this article in the... uh... Okay, no, I didn't. So let me grab this and put it in the Telegram page as well. Because this is important information. Because William Fink started calling me a Jew after we had our dispute over Genesis 1 through 3 which is a, you know, a basically fair dispute that I had with him at Ebenezer. And uh, because I disagreed with them about whether or not the Bible gives us license to kill non, non-Adamites at will, that I disagreed the Bible does not give us that license. And because I would not agree with them on that point, they started calling me a Jew. That's that's simply the fact. Okay, so there's the Fink family crest, and I'll put it in the uh, Eurofolk Radio chat as well, because you guys need to have this information to find out who's lying and who's telling the truth. And there's the Fink name, meaning family and history. And it clearly shows that there are a lot of Jews having that surname. There are zero Jews that have ever had the surname Putz. Okay, so the odds that I'm Jewish versus Fink, my odds are zero. William Fink's odds of being Jewish are really quite high. So it's the case of the black cattle calling the white cup Jewish. All right, let me continue. I'm quoting now from the now uh, houseofnames.com, Fink Family Crest Jewish. Now, it's also, it needs to be understood that the Jews did not even have surnames until very late in European history because they, they were controlled by their rabbis. And the rabbis had basically a lot of small ghettos of the, their flocks throughout Europe, primarily in Poland, although they migrated west to Germany as well, but also in the big cities, because there's no such thing as a Jewish farmer. Absolutely no such thing as a Jewish farmer, which is another reason why I'm not Jewish. My ancestry is all 100% farmers and craftsmen. When my father arrived in America, he became a carpenter, a carpenter and janitor. So there are no moneylenders in my history, no Jews in my history, which Fink would have a really difficult time expunging from his family history. But let's continue. Before the late Middle Ages, people were known only by a single name. However, as the population increased and travelers set out on their journeys, it became necessary for people to adopt a second name to identify themselves. And even there, the Jews were the latecomers to adopting surnames because, like I said, the rabbis kept them in their ghettos and only the banking class and merchant class of Jews 
uh, travel the road freely in Europe. The, uh, the, the ghetto Jews pretty much stayed where they were at their whole lives, pretty much the same way as the feudal serfs did. So the traveling from one country to another, one city to another, was limited primarily to the feudal lords, rich merchants, money lenders, uh, that sort of thing. And, of course, the church personnel would travel frequently from one city, town to another, and from one country to another. So, for example, Martin Luther, uh, it was rare for him to travel from his hometown, but he went on a journey after preaching in, I can't think of the name of his hometown right now, he determined to make a trip to Rome because he saw there was so much corruption in the Catholic Church that he had to get to the bottom of it. And while he was traveling south from Germany, he stopped at various archbishoprics and cardinal ships, if that's the correct terminology. And he found out that there was a lot of corruption going on in those places, in those castles and churches of the Roman Catholic Church, that it really disturbed him. And ultimately, when he had his hearing before the papacy, he he had really turned against the papacy and the Roman Catholic Church 100% because it was so corrupt. So, so even Martin Luther didn't do that much traveling until he decided to confront the Roman Catholic Church. So let's continue. As a Jewish surname, the name Fink derives from a variety of sources. It is thought to have been an occupational name deriving from the German word Finch, which referred to the bird, and would have been given to someone who raised or sold finches. Another possible origin is from the female given name Finkel, which was a popular name in medieval Germany. It could also be an ornamental surname deriving from the old German word Finkelstein, which means diamond. Lastly, the name could be derived from the Yiddish word funk, or funk, which meant spark. The word Funkenstein translates as sparkle stone or diamond. Okay, so the name Fink has a rich Jewish history, unlike the name Putz, which has zero Jewish history. Okay, so there are your two coats of arms. And of course, the vast majority of Jews never had any coats of arms until very late in history. Our coats of arms, our Anglo-Saxon Caucasian coats of arms, are all derived from the 12 tribes of Israel and their offshoot tribes and families, okay? Because those, those, those tribes had these symbols, their, their banners. They carried those banners with them throughout all their travels, starting with the 12 tribes uh, coming out of Egypt, the Egyptian captivity, and assembling in the uh, wilderness. They assembled as 12 tribes, four square, the city four square, with the four cardinal tribes in the center and the other tribes uh, to the left and right of the cardinal tribes. Okay, And all of our heraldry, European heraldry, non-Jewish European heraldry, 
derives from the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the fact, ladies and gentlemen. That's the absolute fact. So, so, so the way, now I'm going to get into the personal history of myself and Clifton Emmeheiser and how I came to know William Fink. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any relation to Molly Putz? Uh, I don't think so, because I don't know any uh, any uh, women named Molly, but I have an extensive family in Chicago. Uh, the Putz family in Chicago is quite extensive, and they're all over the place. So uh, I, I may be related to her. I may not. Okay. And, uh, oh, another uh, offshoot or variant of Putz is Puets. Puets, P-U-E-T-Z, is a variation. It's a spelling trying to accommodate the umlaut in Germanic, uh, which would be pronounced Putz, U with an umlaut. And so it's spelled P-U-E-T-Z to try to accommodate the uh, umlaut sound. Okay. And there's also Butts, B-U-T-T-S, is also derived from the Germanic word puts, okay? So there are other variants that I'm aware of as well. So the way that I and and uh, Clifton Emmeheiser got to know each other is because he and I both had prison ministries. And he was teaching Christian identity to his prison ministry, that I was teaching, and I still am. I still have my uh, prisoner list. There's over 150 names on my prisoner list. And uh, I have visited many of these prisoners in prison because I'm an ordained minister under the auspices of Dr. Wesley Swift through through James, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the uh, Christian Defense League, the Christian Defense League Church, and uh, I was ordained through them, which is an offshoot. That was an offshoot of the ministry of Dr. Wesley Swift. So I'm officially ordained through that ministry and the prison minister, the prisons of America, except my prison, my ministry, ministerial <laughs> credential. Seven says, sorry, it's supposed to be a joke. Well, there may be. A Molly puts seven. Thank you. Uh, okay, so uh, who knows what, what jokes are these days, right? But that's funny. Okay, so so the, that's how the way I got to know Clifton Emmeheiser is because we both had our own individual prison ministries, and some of the prisoners on my list. Uh, Made me, and I was I was already familiar with the writings of Clifton Emmeheiser, uh, a good ten years before I published my book. And when I published my book in two thousand three, a few years before publishing my book, that the Great Impersonation, I had started this prison ministry. Unknowns to me, uh, that, that Clifton Emmeheiser had uh, a prison ministry of his own. I had communicated with 
Kofenheimheiser, after becoming aware of his prison ministry, but I had received his newsletter for many years before that, and, but I, I never heard the name William Fink until I actually went to visit Clifton Emheiser in his hometown there in Ohio. And the, the first time I went there, he had a book on his living room, I think, or maybe dining room table called the Christogonia New Testament. And I said, I asked him, well, that sound, looks really interesting. Can I have a look at the Christogonia New Testament? And that's the, the New Testament published by William Fink. And so I, I leafed through it, and I said, this really looks good. This is excellent work, and I still think it's an excellent piece of work. Even to this day, despite my problems with William Fink, the Christogonia New Testament is an excellent piece of work. There's only a couple of things I disagree with in his, in his New Testament, and that is because he promotes his exterminationist theology. And extermination is, is what I refer to as William Fink's and Clifton Emheiser's assertion that Yahweh is going to destroy all non-whites at the Judgment Day, and they will all cease to exist. Okay, so, uh, well, I said, okay, if you, if you guys can prove to me that Yahweh, and, and the basis for that claim was their claim that Yahweh did not create the non-white races. And so I said, okay, well, if, uh, if you're going to pr- promote that theology, then I need to see solid, solid reasoning and rationale because no one in history... Not even Dr. Wesley Swift, not even, not even Adolf Hitler <laughs> had ever suggested that no one before Clifton Emheiser and William Fink had ever suggested, to my knowledge, that Yahweh did not or God did not create the other races. And most of the Judeos and most people falsely believe that the other races devolve from Adam and Eve, and that's, of course, not true. My teaching on this subject is entitled Beast of the Field, which I'll get to next Saturday, because you you all need to clearly understand why I reject the Clifton Emmerheiser William Fink doctrine that Yahweh did not create the other species. Well, he created all the other species. He created dogs and cats. He created horses and donkeys, right? There's no doubt that he created all those. But I count the non-white races among the beasts of the earth and among the beasts of the field. Whereas the Adamites... Because the definition of Adam in the Bible is to show blood in the face. And all those other animals, and we are also animals, we, we are living, breathing, che animals walking around on the earth. I wish it weren't true. I wish we were, we, I wish we were angels that didn't have to inhabit physical bodies, but we do. And so 
the Adamic species was the last species created in the six days of creation before Yahweh rested from his creation. And I have very solid reasoning behind that, and which I'll get into next week. But continuing with my analysis of uh, my relationship with Clifton Emmerheiser and William Fink, excuse me, I have to take a, a Okay, back at you. And uh, I will address that subject next week. But uh, continuing with my meeting, my first meeting with Clifton Emmerheiser. Now, actually, even before I went to his house, because as I said, I was aware of his writings and received his newsletter on a regular basis, along with countless other newsletters put out by Christian identity uh, theologians and pastors, etc. And I've retained a lot of that, uh, a lot of those newsletters. They are documents from the late 1970s all the way up until you know the 2010s. I've still been receiving these newsletters from these various groups. Many have faded out. One was the Jubilee newspaper. Some of you may remember the Jubilee newspaper. That was an intense Christian identity newspaper. Very good stuff. Very good stuff. And uh, you know, involved in politics and the, the bloodlines. So for the most part, I have always been involved with identity teachers who are two seed liners. But I also found that the writings of non-seed liners were actually also very good. We just disagreed on the origin of the two seed lines. The non-seed liners deny that Eve was seduced in the garden by Nachash. But even if you deny that, the bloodlines are clearly given in Scripture from Genesis 4 on. Because the bloodline of Cain is clearly given in Genesis chapter 4. And it's sporadically encountered throughout the scriptures, but we do encounter it. For example, in Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21, where Abraham is told that his descendants would take over a country inhabited by the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Canaanites, etc. Kenite is the Hebrew word for descendants of Cain. So the descendants of Cain were clearly still around after Noah's flood, and their descendants are to be found in the land of Canaan. So, and then uh, Genesis chapter 36 or 37 lists the descendants of Esau, separate line of descent from Esau, and uh, obviously the line of descent from Seth, Adam through Seth, down to Yahshua Messiah, and to the rest of the Bible is clearly given in the genealogical tables in virtually every book of the Bible. And that is confirmed in Luke chapter 3, where we're given the genealogy of Yahshua Messiah all the way back to Adam. 
and in Matthew chapter 1, where we're given the genealogy of Yahshua from Abraham. Okay, and there are no Jews, and no no uh, half-breeds or off-breeds or whatever you want to call them, mixed breeds, in that bloodline. That is a pure bloodline where you cannot say that about the bloodline of Cain, the bloodline of Esau, or the bloodline of any Jew. Okay, so the Bible, that's what the Bible is all about. And coming into two seed line, I realize that this is what the Bible is all about, but nobody had ever written a book detailing these bloodlines. And the, the fact that the Bible is a book about these bloodlines and everything else is fluff. Everything else is fluff. Because if you don't know the difference between the two bloodlines, you don't know what the Bible is all about. It's just that simple. Okay? So, all right. So, okay, so, uh, all right. Uh, so there's uh, a William Fink in Chicago as well. Genealogical record for 1987 at Jewish Data. I don't know if it's the same. Oh, yeah, and thanks, thanks for posting that, Lily. There are two variants that I'm aware of. First of all, there is Finch, which is the German spelling Fink, of Fink. And then there's the F-I-N-K, which is one of the English variants, and F-I-N-C-K, which is another English variant. But the, uh, the, the solid fact is that Fink is a very common Jewish surname. The name Putz has zero. You can look this name up anywhere, and you will find zero Jews listed under the surname Putz. Okay? So let's continue. So even before I you know, I went to Emma Heiser's house, that we had a meeting in Ohio, and we located the meeting close to Emma Heiser's house because he was already very old. And we didn't you know, expect him to travel long distances. And I believe uh, certainly one of our people drove him to the event. We had a meeting of 24 elders. And because we were wanting to reestablish the Council of Elders of Israel, and we just invited a bunch of people, two seed liners, exclusively two seed liners. And in a little town in Ohio, in a, uh, in a farm building, in a farm building, in a garage of a farm building. And we just invited everybody we knew who was a two seed liner to this meeting. And of course, Clifton Emheiser was one of them. And it was just amazing that it turned out it just happened to be 24 elders showed up. 24 elders. And Dan Johns was one of them. Doc Waterman was another. And uh, trying to remember the names of some of the others. Bob Martin. And uh, I just can't think of all the names. But there were 24 of us. Several Klansmen involved as well. And so at one point, well, well we wrote the... Uh, Creed, the Saxon Creed, and we wrote other documents, the, uh, the Statement of the Ecclesiastical Council of the Restoration of Covenant Israel, our Statement of our Two-Seed-Line Beliefs, etc. 
So this council was very, very productive. At one point, there was a vote taken with lots of discussion as to whether we two seedliners should fellowship with non-seedliners. And, you know, some, some said, well, maybe we shouldn't because they're so far off on Genesis 3.15. Maybe we shouldn't. But I and most of the guys there said, well, you know, just because they're off on that one verse, you know, and uh, don't understand the bloodlines, uh, they know that Jews are evil. They know that we are the children of the covenant. They know that we're the descendants of the 12 tribes, not just the 10 lost tribes, the descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel. They know all these things. So, you know, we want to keep the channels of communication open with them so that we can compare notes and etc. Okay? And that's what I have done for my entire career. I have not disfellowshipped non-seedliners just because they're non-seedliners. They'd have to do something egregiously wrong <laughs> before I disfellowship with them. Why? Because they're our brothers. They are our brothers and sisters. You don't disfellowship people just because you have a theological disagreement. Doesn't the Bible say love one another? So anyway, we took a vote. And the vote was 23 to 1. 23-4, fellowship, one opposed. You want to guess who the one was who was opposed to fellowshipping with non-seedliners? It was, of course, Clifton Emmeheiser. And so I knew it was Emmeheiser, you know, because he was the one, he was really the only one arguing against fellowship. So after, when we took a break from that vote, before reconvening, you know, I asked him, well, Clifton, don't you realize that the non-seedlanders are still our brothers? Aren't you interested in preaching to them and, you know, having rational discussions about seedline versus non-seedline? And he just shrugged his shoulders and, and said, no, okay, all right, all right, be that way, <laughs> all right? So that was my first taste of the hard-nosed attitude of Clifton Emmeheiser, okay, which I was uh, uh, to confront later on after he and Fink joined to to uh, attack me, okay. So anyway, so I asked Clifton Emmeheiser, well, where'd, where'd you get this uh, Christogonia New Testament? This is awesome. I want a copy. And he said, well, this is a prototype copy. It hasn't been published yet. Okay, well, when it is published, make sure I get one. You know, I, I want to read this because, number one, the Bible, as we have it, especially the New Testament and the Old Testament as well, is very, very poorly translated. And words like Jew and Gentile, and the racial teachings of the entire Bible have been totally glossed over by Judeo-Christianity. And we need a Bible that doesn't do that. We need a straightforward Bible that uh, approaches the racial language very straightforwardly without, uh, without fear of uh, offending anybody. Okay, And so Clifton and I totally agreed on that. But 
So I asked him, well, where'd you get it from? He said, well, uh, there's a prisoner on my list named William Fink. I said, well, okay, well, can you give me his mailing address and the prison that he's in? And But he refused to do so. <laughs> okay. So I looked askance at him. Why can't I have his email address? Are you afraid that I might color his perspective, <laughs> right? Because uh, yeah, you, you are hard-nosed about fellowshipping with uh, non-seed liners, and I'm not, so I, I just assumed that was the case. But he just shrugged his shoulders again and said, no, I can't give it to you. Okay, well, I'll find out. So anyway, so as soon as I got home, I got on my computer, because I, since I have so many prisoners on my list, I know exactly how to find a prisoner, what prison he's in, how long he's been in, etc., etc., and what he's been in for. Okay? That's real easy. I mean, anybody could do that. You go to the state, and of course, uh, this was, I can't remember now if it was, no, it was a New Jersey prison because Fink was not uh, in confinement in New Jersey. He was, I think it was, either in Pennsylvania or West Virginia. So, and that doesn't happen to you unless you're in federal prison. So Fink was in federal prison. And I said, okay, so, but I wasn't concerned about what he was in for. I was concerned about getting his Christogonia New Testament because the reason was, was because I had been having lots of trouble with people, even in two-seed line identity, also, non-seedline identity, who were Paul bashers and who falsely believed that the Apostle Paul was either a Jew or, you know, they believed the rhetoric, which comes from the Jews, that he reinvented the New Testament and that therefore contradicted the teachings of Yahshua Messiah. And having completed my book on the Great Impersonation, which, by the way, you could get at moneytreepublishing.com for $30 plus postage, and thoroughly going through the language of the Old and New Testaments, I understood that Paul was not a Jew, nor was he a Jew lover, nor was he preaching to the so-called Gentiles. <laughs> okay, He was preaching to the dispersed of Israel, but he's also preaching to Judahites. He was preaching to both camps of Israel, the house of Judah and the house of Israel. So I realized that from my thorough study of the Bible and having you know, read through it twice, the first time I skimmed over it, just to find out you know, what does the Bible really say about the bloodlines. And I found out it's all about the bloodlines. That's what the Bible is about. And then the second time, while I was working on the book, I read through the Bible to find every possible verse that talks about the genealogies of Israel from Adam down to Yahshua and into modern times. Of course, the Bible doesn't get into modern times, but down to Yahshua Messiah and the apostles, etc. So there was no doubt in my mind, absolutely no doubt, that Paul was neither a Jew nor a Judaizer, okay, as those terms are frequently used by the ignorant Judeo-Christians, all right? So, but at the time, 
I didn't know Greek. I still don't know Greek because I really I didn't have to study Greek to do the word studies. And the word studies by themselves prove that Paul is an Israelite. He says, I am an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. (laughs) Okay? So that proves he's not a Jew, unless you don't believe the Bible. And there were a lot of Christian Israelites who don't really believe the Bible because they they, they think that Paul was a Jew. Okay? So they look askance at, at the writings of Paul. I said, no, absolutely not. Paul was not a Jew nor was he a Judaizer, etc. Okay, and so, so I struck up a uh, email or not email, uh, mail snail mail friendship with William Fink, and he didn't have much time left. He only had like two or three years left on his term, and I said, okay, Bill, when you get out. When you get out, I'll set you up on the radio because I was on Talk Shoe Radio. And you can start out by being my co-host on Talk Shoe. And then you can start your own radio show whenever you, whenever you please. So he got out and did exactly that. He was my co-host on Talk Shoe for two and a half years. He was also the webmaster for my website, www.anglo-saxonisrael.com. So for that period of two and a half years, we had a very close relationship biblically. Both of us two seed liners and both of us being talk show hosts, okay, and preaching the racial segregation aspect of the Bible, the bloodlines, and the covenant message. So, it included phone calls. And when he called my number in Chicago, he said, well, I see that your surname is not James because your phone doesn't register that. I said, yeah, that's right, because I'll just refer to it as Jono because that was my nickname in Chicago. I made up the name Jono in Chicago because I, I was the lead singer, a front man, for a band. We performed all over the city and sometimes out of state as well. We had actually produced, self-produced two albums. So I was an accomplished singer, songwriter for that band. And the name Puts wouldn't sound good (laughs) as a band singer member. So I just made that name up. I simply made a name up as my stage name. All right, now it's very interesting because Clifton Emheiser created a document claiming that this name that I made up in the interim was a Jewish name, and therefore I'm a Jew. But he didn't know my real name is Putz, not Jono, okay? So here's another instance of Clifton Emheiser making things up out of whole cloth to try to accuse me of being a Jew. All right, so uh, so this is, so he knew that. William Fink knew that, that Eli James was not my real name, and he also knew that uh, I said, uh, I did a, uh, what's the word? A, uh, not a Freedom of Information Act. Uh, you, uh, doing business as, a DBA. 
I filed a DBA in the you know County of Cook, doing business as Eli James Publishing. So that gave me the ability to cash checks, write articles legally under the same. I could have done so. I mean, there's no legal requirement that you have to do that. You know, like uh, George Orwell, his real name was Eric Blair. I don't think he filed the DBA. Uh, how about uh, Cary Grant? Cary Grant's real name was Archibald Leach. I don't think they uh, have to do DBAs to become actors and make up names. How about Samuel Clemens? He changed his name to Mark Twain. There's no indication that anybody who changes their name is therefore a Jew, but but William Fink and Clifton Emmeheiser were saying, well, because I changed my name, I must be a Jew. All right, well, that's extremely flimsy, a flimsy argument. And, of course, I had all, already had my run-ins with Wickstrom, who was calling me a Jew because... I was part of the council uh, hearing that wound up convicting him of adultery. And he hated my guts ever since then. Okay. So it's not my fault that he committed adultery. That's his fault. But to cover his butt, he, he told oh, everybody, I'm a Jew. Don't listen to Eli. So I'm going to cover that story in greater detail next Friday night. I started it last, last, night on Yahweh's Covenant people. So this is how Clifton Emmeheiser, William Fink, and myself became associated. Okay? So when Clifton Emmeheiser and William Fink started teaching this doctrine that Yahweh did not create the other races, I said, okay, now wait a minute. If you're going to make a claim like this, which no one in history that I'm aware of has ever taught before, then the burden is upon you to prove your case. You just can't go around asserting that Yahweh did not create the other races. You have to prove it. You know, if there's a new scientific theory, (laughs) right, you have to prove the theory. And you have to show why the other older theories are false. That's the way it's done. You just don't make something up, claim it's true, and call the people who refuse to accept your, your new proposal. You don't start calling them names. You have to prove, which is what Fink and Emmeheiser did to me. Okay, I said, okay, you guys have to prove it to me. I'm not going to follow along with this unproven doctrine just because you claim it's true, you got to prove it. So I better see a good argument in favor of this doctrine. And so Clifton Emmeheiser began to compose a couple of documents to try to prove that this is, in fact, the case. So and he, made, he published it in his newsletters, which I received. I was receiving his newsletters every month. And I read... I think it was eight, eight of these seed line articles altogether. And I can say, folks, that this uh, 
Previous to this episode, Clifton Emmeheiser's work was rock solid based on scripture, based on outside sources such as the Apocrypha and the found uh, the early church fathers, etc., etc. Really rock solid research that I, I could not find any fault with. In fact, I have to praise Clifton Emmeheiser because he's the one who proved that uh, Deuteronomy 23.2, I believe it is, that says, uh, Thou shalt not uh, hate a, an Edomite because he is thy brother. He proved that that was based on a false, uh, false translation because it's one of those words that has a tiny little jot or tittle at the end. And if you mis, misscribble the jot or tittle, it could uh, sound like either Edom or Aram, meaning Aramite, okay? So he proved conclusively that that was a false translation based on this uh, jot and tittle mistake, all right? So, uh, and I heap praise upon Clifton Emmeheiser for discovering that because, but as I was arguing, there's only one verse in all of Scripture that has anything good to say about the Edomites, and that's the one. So there's something wrong with that verse, okay? I knew there was something wrong with that verse all along, but I had not yet had time to check it out. Well, Clifton did, and he proved that 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 is a false translation, okay? So we'll have to get into the the document uh, that uh, that uh, we're talking about here, which is the beast of the field. And so in my objections to Clifton Hemmerheiser's and William Fink's argument that Yahweh did not create the other races, I wrote this document entitled, entitled Beast of the Field. So let's get into it. And I'm pretty sure I have it up on one of my browsers already. Beast of the Field, here it is. I'm going to copy it. And I'm going to put it into two chat rooms. First in Telegram. So you'll have an opportunity to read through this document. And it's a complicated argument because I have to disprove the Finkeheiser, and I started calling the two guys together Finkeheiser because they were always a team. I have to disprove their argument while making good my argument. And so I'm going to put this into your folk radio chat room as well. And here it is, Beast of the Field. So it's like, oh, I see we're almost out of time. So I'll post it. Now, so you you all can take a look at it and read through it, because this is very very important stuff. It's all about Genesis one, two, and three, with a little bit of comment on Genesis four. Both arguments, theirs and mine, prove two seed light. Both arguments prove two seed light, but the issue is whether or not Yahweh created the other races or not. And I determined that he did. And they determined that he didn't. So that's that's the issue 
between me and them. And because I have gone on record, I went on record as refusing to accept their thesis because, in my opinion, very, very shoddy research by the two of them. That's when they started calling me a Jew. Okay, so in other words, uh, because you can't disprove my argument, you start calling me names. And that's exactly what Clifton Emmeheiser and William Fink did to me. So, folks, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. And I hope you all learned something from this dispute because it's very, very clear to me that Yahweh does not authorize the extermination of non-whites merely because they are (laughs) non-whites. Okay? That's only true of the Edomites. The Bible is very clear. The Edomites and the Canaanites. Those are the people that Yahweh ordered the Israelites to exterminate. And I can prove that none of the other peoples of those days or any other day are determined by Yahweh to be worthy of extermination. Okay? So so next week, it'll be exterminationism versus what I call dominionism. And that's what the Bible really teaches, is dominion and, of course, covenant theology. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition, and take care, everybody. Bye-bye now. Free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.